as usual uh, in the beginning of the episode um, we tell you that uh, this is not a podcast for gardeners although feel free to listen anyway i'm your uh, i'm paul's co-host adam maxwell today we're speaking with margaret lyon uh, she's a senior lecturer in the school of public health at iu bloomington She's also a member of the inaugural cohort of the Digital Gardener Faculty Fellows Program at IU. You know, we've talked about that program in the past episodes, and we've had uh, some of our fellows on, and we're going to continue that uh, throughout uh, the next few weeks or so. Um, Margaret, welcome to the Digital Gardening Podcast. We're so happy to have you here. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. Yes, and as Adam said, if you're looking for tips on how to improve your hydroponic yield, um, this is not the podcast for you, but if you're interested in all things digital literacy at IU and beyond, then stay tuned because we've got some interesting things for you. Yes, we can help you improve your digital literacy yield, whatever that might be. I have to sew back that up because I have terrible allergies. I'm allergic to the entire world. So gardening, no. The beautiful tulip background that you all made for us, that's as close as I get to gardening. But much just, less pollen in the digital right. space. That's right. Pollen is not good for disk drives yeah. or hard drives. So Margaret, um, a big part of your job in the School of Public Health, where you teach, uh, is to teach the K200 computer technology uh, in public health course. And this is a class where students develop digital literacy skills through active learning projects. So can you tell us a bit more about this course and how you focus on digital literacy? I would love to, and I can begin, the history of this course begins before I got to public health, actually. And what was happening was students were coming in and they didn't know how to use computers. And this was a big problem, especially with graduate students. So someone of my predecessor, Betty Haven, created a class to teach people how to use computers. And it just kept growing and growing because people were coming in without computer skills. So here they are at a big 10 university, and even though it was decades ago, they needed to have some knowledge of using computers. So K200 gives everyone a level playing field. And so what it's grown into now is I teach digital literacy because I teach so much about computers. Students will come in and I'll be like, this is computer boot camp. It's boot camp, because in boot camp in the, in the army, they take you wherever you are. And when you're done, you're at this level, you're ready to perform. And so I say that to my students, you're gonna get buff with computer skills. So they run in, we do the basics out computer. Some students don't know the difference between hardware and software. And those of us who use computers, well, you didn't know that. Well, they didn't know that they don't know about operating systems. So we give them all of that language and thought process about here's the internet and here's how all this hooks up and work. And then it's now you're gonna get your hands on those keyboards because that's the only way you're gonna really learn how to use a computer. Why? You gotta be on the keyboard. And I often do things called in-class savers where I have students work with me because I have the good fortune to teach in a computer lab. And the computer lab is 15 seconds from my office, which means coffee is often involved in my class. We can discuss that later. So hands on the keyboards and we're typing and we're working together. And one of the first things I share with my students on the first day is, okay, Syllabus is online so that everybody around the world can see it whenever they want. But let me show you something fun that'll make you really, really popular with your grandparents. And so you hold down the control key and you move the wheel on the mouse and the text gets bigger or smaller. Not every time, but most of the time. So right there, I have students working with me hands-on to look at websites and get information. 
And the other really, really big thing to teach with digital literacy is, at least I try to focus on in my classroom, is where are you saving your work? Where is it located? You work on the desktop because it's easy to find. But then when class is done, it's not going to stay there. You have to back it up in other places. So very quickly, we go over what is a computer, what is the internet, and then we do Word, Excel, Access, PowerPoint, and then we do podcasting and Audacity editing. We're going to be adding Premier Rush in the fall. Thank you, Digital Gardener, for showing me that. And then we also make websites with Weebly. And they look at me going, <gasps> and I said, oh, you're going to learn this. You're going to know it. So that's just a brief overview. It throws so much at them that they kind of get an idea how to learn about tech because they have to keep learning about something new every two weeks. Well, so, okay. So, Margaret, you know, I'm going to ask you, a, a, you know, a, a challenge question, which which uh, I just as a, as a, you know, a, uh, I think I know the answer, but, you know, I, I want to have this conversation, you know. Well, aren't these kids, or let's not kids, aren't these students digital natives. I mean, you don't have to teach them all these things. Aren't they coming in with all the, all the knowledge uh, about how to. Thank you so much for asking that because the answer is no. And even in the most advanced, not advanced, but the most, okay, let's, let's just call it what it is in the wealthiest school districts where students might have computers in their classrooms, they're still don't have the same broad scope of skills that I'm giving them that I'm saying you got to get. And then lots of students don't have computers in their classroom and they've never done these things before. So in one classroom, I'll have a student who does know how to use Microsoft Word and one who has never looked at it. And I know that seems really weird for our era, but when you often people say, but they know everything about tech. No, they know how to use certain apps on their cell phone. Great, but that's not the same thing as actually creating documents and those highly specialized skills in Word. For example, how to make references, how to make footnotes. So often I get students saying, why didn't I know how to do this two years ago? It's like, well, you didn't take a 200, sweetie. You know, so that's why. So you would think that they would all know how to do this and they don't. So it's a great question to ask. Thank you. So, and I think I brought this up during one of our, uh, one of our chats in, um, in the Digital Gardener Faculty Fellows uh, Program, one of our meetings. So th there was this, this story that um, from the fall uh, um, in The Verge, um, file not found was the, the column. And I, I, th I think I shared it with you all, I think you read it anyway. Uh, and um, essentially the, the, the crux of the, the argument, you know, is that, you know, because of, and you mentioned this, students know how to use their phone you know, they can open up, you know, I can open up my iPhone here and I can, you know, go to a notes app or I can go to, uh, you know, uh, pages, you know, uh, the, the Apple version of word processor. And I can start typing something, you know, there and it saves uh, and it saves to the cloud, right? It saves on my iCloud, right? But, um, uh, but, you know, students don't necessarily know where things are. And in fact, the point of this was, is that, you know, those of us who grew up uh, either without computers and came to it later on, or those of us who grew up with like, say, you know, DOS-based systems or, or before, you know, we, we had a real good sense of, of, of um, file management. And I mean, even though we might throw everything on the desktop, you don't want to see my desktop, but you know, now, but like, we still have an understanding of sort of how, how things hierarch hierarchically work. 
in a sense, and, and in some ways can sort of translate that to, you know, uh, when we think about cloud storage, right? And the 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 point of the article was essentially we've gotten so good, and technology has gotten so good at search. Search is so ubiquitous that we've really, in some ways, lost the need, at least some would argue, for um, for that kind of you know basic knowledge, right? So I'm I'm kind of curious how. In, in by the way, this is an audio podcast, but we're on Zoom recording this, so you know you, uh, the listeners can't see Margaret, uh, uh, you know, very strongly sort of shaking her head. No, 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 no. Um, uh, but but I, I I'm curious for you to respond to to sort of that. You know, uh, is there a need to understand the difference between hardware and software? Is there a need to know? Is there a need to know, you know, uh, how file systems work and, and things like that? Oh, yeah, of course there is, Adam, because you don't know how many times students have lost files. And, and here's one thing that really started. Okay, so one, two issues here. One, losing files and not storing them. So they'll say, but it was here on Wednesday. Yes, but you're in a computer lab that gets wiped every night and it's gone. So unless you put it in the cloud storage we have provided for you, or you put it on your USB stick, or maybe even emailed it to yourself, it's gone. And that's a really chilling learning moment for everybody. But here's something else that's really happened that I have found very interesting in the pandemic, and I'm going to keep talking to you. Students don't know what they're looking at. Now, when I say that, what I mean is I'll say open up Microsoft Word and they'll open it up, but it is the word that is in SharePoint. It's not the word on your computer. And the word on your computer is by far more powerful. And that's what we're teaching because that's the full blooded program, but they're doing it up in SharePoint or they're doing it in Google Drive. And then they're like, well, can't you see that? No, no, because I have to show them, look at this, look at the top of your file excuse me, look at the top of your screen. Do you see that you have a web address and then the ribbon under it? Yes, no, that means you're looking at it online, which means now you've got to download it to your computer to work on it. And then once you've worked on it, you save it and you've got to upload it again. And because I teach in public health and kinesiology, a lot of my students work out or do exercise science. So I say, when you go to exercise, do you have to put on the right shoes? Do you have to put on the right clothing and shirt and stretch before you exercise? Well, yeah. Same thing with computers. You got to get your files in the right place. You've got to get everything right where you need it. And then you can start to work. And then when you're done with your workout, you have to cool down. You have to take a shower. You got to put those shoes back. So I try to equate it to things they're doing in their life, but that is one of the trickiest things to teach. And I do teach them how to make folders and where I want them to save their work in those folders. So we do do that every week, but it's something that has to be constantly drilled in. Yeah, but you know, again, you know, again, because I like to push back sometimes, right? If a person can can write a letter or a resume or whatever on a web-based word processor that's Google or Microsoft are a full-blown version of Word. You know, if it meets their needs, right? For what, whatever, whatever it is, and you know, those systems are in place to allow us to sort of search and find things. Again, do we really need to know? Like, 
do students really need to know, you know, this is the, you know, th this is the way to go? I mean, because is there even, is there even a sort of standard way? Okay, and I'm going to answer that, Adam, with a statement that a friend of mine used. And she is an adjunct, and she teaches, which her full-time job is doing work for a company that is worldwide, and she's based out of her office. And she says, quote, submit your work like an adult. And do your work like an adult is what I add. Because when you go to work and your boss says, I want that .docx document from your desktop and you send it to me in an email, if you do anything else, your boss is gonna get angry because that's not what they asked for. If they want you to make that DOX file and then put it in a shared drive, that's what you do because that's what they asked for. So you have to listen to the instructions because they're all different. Now, if you're in an office that says, we're just going to go to Google and we're going to make a Google Docs and we're all going to edit together, that's fine. But that's what they asked for. And so you have to know the whole gamut of what it is that computer is doing. And what I'm also going to start teaching is if you start your document in Google, that's fine. But you're going to have to edit it, fully edit it on the computer. So you've got to download it as a docs, because look, look what you can do. Ah, and I said, if it's pages, you're in Apple and I see all this, but here's how you can do the work because they don't know those things. But knowing those things gives you power in how you work your computer because you're like, that's how it's working. You're not, you have to give the students the chance to know what it is they're doing. Does that make sense what I'm saying? So like I said, I want it on the, on the hard drive. It's got to be there. I want it in Google Docs. It has to be there because that's what they're going to have to face when they get out of college. Yeah. So, so it's, it's not necessarily, you know, saying this is the right way to do something, but this is how the thing works because the right way is going to adjust over time and you need to be able to be, 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 um, be adaptable. Well, I mean, I even go deeper in that, Adam. I say, look. There's all kinds of ways to save your file. What's the best way? The way you like. And if someone makes fun of you for that, you tell them to call me up and we'll have a chat because you got to save your file. And if you want to do file save for the rest of your life, I don't care. It's saved. I do keyboard shortcut when I can. Which is better? The one that you're going to use. Well, one of the things that, that, that uh, and go back to that, that Verge you know, piece, that you you mentioned you you, you tell tell students like you know you might save it to your desktop you might save it on a cloud space you might save it to your to your you know thumb drive and I think what's in, interesting is that yes uh, um, search has gotten more powerful uh, within an ecosystem right but there are generally not searches that span ecosystems in other words there's not one search that I can go to that's going to search. Google Drive and Dropbox and SharePoint in my thumb drive that's, you know, uh, I, you know, in, in, a, in a drawer, you know, that, you know, I haven't touched in years, right? And I, and I think that that's, that, you know, that's something that we're, we're facing even today at, at IU, uh, where, you know, we're, we're recognizing all these companies, they used to say, oh, unlimited storage, put everything here. And they're saying, that's really not something that we can even do. So we're having to say, all right, what do we keep and how do we keep it and what's the structure? And for students to understand, you know, uh, imagine being told, go organize your stuff when you don't even have an, an, an idea of what sort of, 
you know, imagine say, go organize, go organize your room, but you have no concept of what a box is. Yeah. Exactly. And that is why we teach that, or I should say we, my, me and my adjunct, we teach that. We teach you how to get to that folder, how to make those folders. You have your K200 folders, a whole bunch in there. But more important, what you've been saying, you've been talking about ecosystems. But I know what you're talking about, but my students wouldn't. So it's like when we, because when, when you're saying we search, it's like, that's right. You can search on that hard drive, on that computer, in that lab all you want. But since that file's never been there or it got wiped, there you go. So part of it is also teaching the students how to find things again. It's like, I'm going to start talking about backpacks. How do you organize your backpack? Where do you put your keys? You have to have it organized. You always know where it is. And that's the same with your files. And once you get that in your brain, the rest of it is so much easier for the rest of your classes, too. Well, you know, I think there's, there's a point that you mentioned, too, is that you said, you know, knowing this foundational stuff gives you the power, right? So search might be as good across these different, you know, ecosystems, right? But but the search, you know, is influenced by those who, you know, the, well, it, but, but the search, you know, is is uh, influenced perhaps by those who, who set up the search, right? And what results you're going to get. But by being able to understand the structure and being able to, you, you have the ability to more powerfully search and ultimately have more power in finding the information. So I think that that notion of, of, of the knowledge of the structures of computing relates to power is a really, really important one. It's, it's like saying, this is like driver said, but we're gonna open up the hood and also teach a little bit about how the engine works so that you kind of know a little bit. You don't have to know how it works. You don't have to be a programmer. You don't have to be someone who builds your own computers. But if you have a little bit about how all these things are intermingling together, it helps. And then it's just easier to use. Go ahead, yeah. Well. And I, I like uh, of all the metaphors you've used so far, and I love all of them. But I, I really that that particular that um, driver's ed metaphor really resonates with me, Margaret, because I think that is that that really hits the issue on on the head. It, it's we we know that folks who drive should know some basic. You know, you don't have to be a master certified mechanic, but you should know some basic things, right? About how to charge a uh, dead battery, how to how to change a flat, right? You, you know, you should know some, you should know some, some basic stuff, right? Some basic drivers, um, auto literacy, we, we might call it. Right. And I think that that really gets to, to kind of what we're, I mean, it's a, it's a safety issue. And I think one could even argue online that, that a lot of this file management stuff that we're talking about and, and just kind of, um, you know, being protected online and protecting your data is also kind of a safety issue as as well. I I, I wanted I wanted to ask you um, to, if you could come because I've noticed this as well. I teach a lot of freshman comp, and I've noticed this a lot with freshmen. And I kind of thought that this lack of awareness of of sort of you know the difference in Microsoft Word and you know SharePoint or Google was kind of a freshman thing. I'm I'm learning that it's that it's not. Um, can you talk a little bit about how we got to this point? Like wh where it, yeah. So here's what I think. I will throw this out to you. We can research it to see if it's correct. But here's what I think. This issue really started happening during the, after the pandemic. So during the pandemic, when I taught this class, everyone was pretty much on their own computers. Okay, very, the only time anyone really had to use IU anywhere was if they had a Mac, and they had access. <laughs> you have to do access in my class to understand databases because they're everywhere. So I didn't really have a problem with students 
got, the files didn't seem to be the problem. I didn't seem to have a problem, but when we got back to the classroom in the fall, all of a sudden students are like not downloading files and they're not editing and they're not uploading or saving. And I'm going, what is going on? You know, and, and that's just like, I was going, oh my God, I got her. Once again, rewrite my class. Here we go. It's a never ending story. So I really had to work at what do you see? What are you looking at? What you have to know? And here's what you gotta do. And so I think it was the pandemic. Now I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Also, the, the people are working more in these files, excuse me, online with their friends, probably for other classes, possibly for high school. Uh, but again, the needs of my class are you got to look at the full program, therefore you have to have it on the desktop. But that's what I think happened. And of course, it's just so easy to start typing and working on Word online, and then it's saved and you just go to it. And I do that. I mean, come on, I have a folder where I put stuff in that I work online. I keep notes and minutes online about digital gardener meetings. I have all my stuff in there that I type and it's great. And it's wonderful to do because I can access it anywhere. But if I got to use a real program or I have to submit my work like an adult, like my boss or some of my colleague wants, then I have to adjust to that. So if what they want is to submit a file into Canvas, which is what I want, then you got to download and upload and all that. Now, and download and upload, not something people totally get. They don't totally understand that either. And they don't totally understand that a file that you've updated if it's 12 o'clock and you've downloaded a file onto your computer and you work on it for 30 minutes, that version in the cloud, it's not the same. Not the same, you've gotta move it up. You've gotta change it, you've gotta upload it. Yeah, it's, that's really crazy to me though, you know, that, that we, that it, it seems like the more advanced we have become, the less people seem to really know about how this stuff works. Well. Well, and here's what I say. Here's what I say to my students. Working with a computer is like talking to a one-year-old. And we all have adult brains and we think in very big concepts. If I told you to tie your shoe, you'd know how to tie your shoe, right? But when you were learning how to tie your shoe, you had to do it in one little itty bitty step at a time. And it took you time taking the hands. I mean, I just remembering me cross, hold what I do now. It took time because you had to remember each step, but that's how computers think. That's how they quote unquote think. They're one little tiny step at a time. And I will look at my students and say, you've just got to be patient. It's like talking to a one-year-old. It's like, you don't want to watch Teletubbies, but the one-year-old does. So you've got to just be patient, be slow and do all those tiny little steps. Now, if you love computers and you work with them all the time, you just kind of do that. Even if you think, oh God, I got to do this again. But it's something that you always do because that's how your brain is thinking because that's what you're used to. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Whereas if you're teaching the first time and students are trying to figure all this out, it's like, back up, slow down your brains, ratchet your big, bad, glorious adult brains down a few notches, take a big breath and go slow. And then it all makes sense and then you speed up. If you go slow. So Margaret, you were, you were uh, talking about um, the sort of history of, of the, the K200 course and sort of how it came, how it came about. And, and um, 
and, and those kinds of courses that you know I see we see them in a variety of places. Certainly, you know, business has has that type of a course, and, and there's others. You know, education. You know, so I'm I'm curious. You know, in the, in the digital gardener initiative, uh, you know, we, we've talked a lot about you know the notion of digital literacy as an add-on versus digital literacy as sort of an in, integrated sort of element. And and I guess my, my question is, um, you know, I think for a long time, you know, we kind of thought, oh, right, well, technology is an additional skill, right? You know, it, it, that is separate from perhaps other skills that you might learn, right? So in the education space, right, learning to use technology in a classroom is different than, say, the skill of, you know, I don't know, creating a lesson plan, right? Um, or, you know, um, or, or, you know, a, a method for, you know, a certain kind of method for teaching or something, you know. Um, uh, but, you know, I, I think that, that some would say, and I, I think I would probably be in this sort of realm, is that, is that digital literacy and technology is such a core part of what we do. In fact, Paul, uh, you know, in some of his work, you know, he taught, he uses uh, the, the phrase post-digital, right? That we're in a post-digital age in a sense because, um, uh, you know, it's not like we do online banking versus banking, right? Banking is just online. Like it's just, we're, we're not online versus offline. We're just, we're just living in the modern world, right? Right, and, and so, so this notion of sort of post-digital. So I guess my question is that in a post-digital world, that's sort of what, we, what we're in right now. And in post-digital education, should, should we be sort of focusing on teaching computer skills uh, in, should it be more integrated across the board or sort of separated as it's been for a long time or both? I'm kind of curious what, what your thoughts are. Okay, yeah. right, I got, I got. Two answers to this. One, when I hear post-digital, I think apocalypse <laughs> and zombies, and I don't want to be there because I need my internet. I need my internet. I need my internet. I am not, I'm not happy without my internet. Two, as an educator, to say that we've got to, when I, if I were teaching a different class, like if I were teaching a physiology class and you said, you've got to integrate technology, I'd be like, take a hike. It would annoy me. If I started seeing the benefits of how to use technology, which was actually the subject of my master's degree, was you know instructional systems technology how to use it to make it better to learning for students then i'm all for it but to say to a teacher you have to use this can be a little bit offensive however if you say to teachers look let me show you how to do this it'll keep their attention and they'll like it and you'll get more out of them and they'll put more into it then you've got something going on and of course you've also got to have a teacher who really actually wants to teach okay and that or know how to teach. That's an interesting thing in higher ed. We have geniuses. I work with geniuses, okay? I do. I work with people who, who, who know the body or they know English or they know these topics in ways that I never will. And it, it is awe-inspiring to me, but I got a degree in ed. So if they don't know how to teach, I'm not surprised. Why would they know how to teach? No one taught them how to teach. So if I can come in and help someone and say, look, you want them to write a paper, get them to use Adobe Express. Why? Because it's fun and easy and entertaining. And then they'll do it. And then you can go look at it and 
you two can have an interesting conversation about this and it's pretty and it's fun and it's a new thing to play with. And then that in a roundabout way gets them to learn to write. Why? Because when you're happy and you're relaxed and you're having fun, you learn more. You don't think you do, but you learn more. And so that's why you use the tech. But first of all, let's, let's be gentle to teachers. Uh, I'm a big believer in public ed. Let's be gentle to them. And I actually had a colleague who years ago was, all right, he was ready to use PowerPoint. People were like, oh my God, you got him to use PowerPoint? I said, yeah, we just started to go, oh, look, you can insert pictures. And he's like, okay. And the next thing I know, he's making PowerPoints because he can't stop, because he was having a great time, because he thought I can show pictures. And this is how I can, um, what I said to him was, this is how you can guide and control your lecture. So you don't have to worry about your notes. You just put it up here. He's like, yeah. And so once a teacher sees a reason to use the tech, they can. Now, do we want to encourage students to use tech? Yes. Should my class be a requirement for every incoming freshman at IU? Yes. Why? Because then everybody's on a level playing field. And, and that would be great. But if we help teachers understand and feel comfortable with tech, or feeling comfortable about being uncomfortable, because uh, teaching a technology class means you're publicly humiliated on a daily basis. That's just the nature of the beast. Then we can go forward. So am I for people using technology and encouraging students to use tech? Yes, 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 yes. Do they maybe need just a little handholding to get there? Sure. Did that help you at all? Well, I, I think you're onto something um, with this idea that, that so much of what prevents people from uh, well, so so much of what stands in the way of people becoming more digitally literate is their lack of comfort and and their their fear, their anxiety about being humiliated or not knowing. And I'm I'm wondering, uh, I mean, I really think you're 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 hitting something there. And I'm just curious, Margaret, how can we help people to become other than the, than the obvious, right? Which is to, you know, kind of lower the bar, make it fun, help them relax. Um, and then teach them these, you know, some of these basic skills. How can we get people to loosen up and become comfortable and, and get over that fear of, of, of failure and of humiliation when it comes to technology? So I'm, a, I'm going to, are you asking this question as the point of view from the teacher, everybody in general? Everybody in general, I would say, look, I don't know everything. You've got an iPhone, you've got a Mac. I struggle on those. I mean, I don't, I mean, I'm learning more and more how to use Macs, but when I first had to help students on Macs, it's like, okay, we got to look up how to do this because I didn't know if we were on Windows, I could do it on a Mac, I can't. But see that models, one, I don't have to know everything. I'm not a sage on the stage, I'm a guide on the side. That's my pedagogy, that's what I'm gonna do all the time. So I help you find answers, I find answers. That's what we can do now in the information age. For teachers in general, I would say, hey, you're going to be more human if you say, I don't know how to use this tech. You know, you could even look at students and go, does anyone know how to set this up? Although things are so specialized at IU, they might not. So it is really tough to not know how to use something. So what I would suggest is if you're going to use tech for the first time in your classroom, two things, one, practice, and two, prepare for failure. Prepare for that tech to not work. 
like when your textbook is totally wrong because then there's a new version of software. You prepare for that because that's the big lesson in technology. It's all going to change anywhere. It's going to update on your phone and your apps all went to the wrong spot. So you got to figure it out. So it's kind of just being patient with yourself and saying you don't have to know everything. You just have to be able to learn. And what I, I made my little logo, my first digital gardener thing I made was digital literacy, no fear, no fear in asking, no fear in not knowing. Well, I, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, I, I think people, for whatever reason, I think they're, that people are, um, when it comes to tech, are, are just very easily uh, kind of um, made uncomfortable and just feel really exposed and vulnerable. I mean, it's there's almost... And and I mean, honestly, as a writing teacher, I would compare it to the way people are oftentimes about their own writing. It's 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 one of the you know, people will always make, you know, make excuses for, oh, gosh, I know I'm a terrible writer. Oh, I can't spell. Oh, I can't do this. I don't know grammar. And I I think it's one of those things that people feel like they should know it and they're ashamed that they don't. That's when you look at your student and go, did you know how to drive a car before someone taught you? No. Well, I'll say, Ms. Light, I'm sorry. I have a question. Oh, my God. You're a student in a classroom with a question. <gasps> Good. You're supposed to have questions. I mean, hello. I got to earn my money, people. I got to earn my medium-sized bucks. But there, but there is this idea, right, that people that, well, you should already know this, right? You should know about file management. You should know about file naming and and about software and hardware. When we Adam talked about file naming back in DOS, file naming has changed so much. So it's so much easier now. But why would you know if someone didn't teach you? Adam still Adam still boots his computer from from DOS. So when he when he, yeah, when, he when he launches Windows, he types in c colon forward slash forward slash win executable. <laughs> win yes yes yes. We're so proud that he got there at that moment in time. We're so proud of you. All right, breathe. Let's let's just take a moment to breathe that in, okay? Yeah. <laughs> I have my Windows 3.1 here running Minesweeper and Zoom on my 56K modem. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, hey, so, 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 so Margaret, here's my, you know, I, I think another challenge uh, that exists as well is, um, uh, you know, and it's not just sort of the notion of, oh, well, people think that they, you know, they should know it and there's this apprehension. I think you're right, Paul. I think that's a big part of it. But also, it, you know, I think that sometimes people feel that sometimes tech can get in the way of what they're doing, right? And so you know, so this is this is a this is a question that I'm kind of curious. You and I have talked about. You, so you, your bachelor's degree is in theater, right? So you have a background in theater. Uh, and, and, and if if uh, if if any of you who are listening ever have a chance to meet Margaret or see her at a sporting event, you'll see how sort of energetic she uh, she she is. Um, you know. But anyway, but you know, Margaret, we you and I have talked about about teaching as a performative experience right uh and i know that's something that you talked about and written about before you know and i think a lot of people would agree but i know others might think that um the tech actually gets in the way of that performative nature of, of teaching right that that it gets in the way of the connection that we can make between 
ourselves and the students are, you know, are the performer and the audience in a way, right? So, so what would you be your response to sort of, especially, you know, given the, your, your, your notion as a, of, of teaching as a performative, you know, a function, but also, you know, the, the idea of, you know, your, your, your background in instructional systems technology and, and the importance of, of, of educational technology. So I'm curious how you would approach that challenge. So who you are as a teacher is very important. I'm a very demonstrative, loud teacher. Okay. I'm also loud because I used to teach senior citizens. They loved me because they could hear me. And I used to go, that's four years of voice training. So who I am as a teacher is just me and no one else should be like me. You've got to be like you. You be the teacher who you are. And when you are comfortable with who you are as a teacher, let's get there first. And so I'm making, what? I'll be like, yeah, let's, every time you go in to teach, walk out and tell someone how you felt about it and why, so that you learn who you are as a teacher. That's part of being a performer too. You get your adrenaline up, you go do your thing, you come back, you crash, you go, okay, what can I do better next time? <laughs> that was good, I'm leaving it. Now the technology. Technology is a tool. And one of the reasons educational technology works is because people who design it, hi, go through a strict thing of the, the instructional design and getting the technology to meet the instructional design and the needs of the student and the class and the subject. So when you've got something good, you use it as a tool. In other words, you let the other star have center stage and you can go backstage, prop your feet up and just listen. I mean, you know, the, the, the play King Lear, everyone loves Ophelia. That is the cushiest role. You're just on in the beginning. You're not there for the whole play. You get to sit backstage, read a book, twiddle your fingers, you know, watch your brother and sister actors do their thing. And then you come on and save the day. So, I mean, yeah, Ophelia is fun. It's like, I got two hours of just chilling. Yeah. So, and I don't know if people who play Ophelia have felt that way, but that's what I would always wonder. So that in a way is what tech can do for you. It helps you do your job. It does not take from you because Ophelia is not going to be any good if you don't have a good clean leer and the other characters aren't just kicking butt and taking names as well, okay? A play is a group performance. A movie is a group performance. Everybody's gotta be there to help out. So that's kind of how I would discuss it in terms of technology. And then of course, it, we said this about the guy at the chair, uh, our Michaels, Dr. Michaels was the chair of the theater department and he would give the history of theater. And for an hour and 15 minutes, almost hour, 45 minutes actually, he would have a classroom of totally si total silence. Because when you are a highly trained, very good actor, you know how to give information. And I'm sure that today, if he was gonna teach that class, it'd be like, oh my God, let's go find images of Olivier, images of these great actors that we used to just talk about. Now we can show them. And that makes it more powerful. Margaret, I, I wanna ask you as a kind of a final question here, we've, we've looked back and we've talked about a lot about the history of tech technology and, and kind of where we've been and, and made some jokes about that and so forth. And, you know, I'm just curious what you think about what will be the, I mean, what, what does the future hold specifically in terms of kind of instructional technologies like we have talked about today and, and uh, you know, what will we be doing in, in, in five years and, and, and what will students not know in five years that we'll need to be teaching them? Everything. I mean, I'll be the same way. That's, I have two answers to that. The first one is I want to keep teaching for another 15 years. 
and I'll stop if I can't keep up. So I always have to like constantly be looking at the new tech, what's coming down the road. For me specifically, because I teach at IU, I have to know what IU is going to be teaching, what is available at IU. So that does affect my curriculum. Like if I'm gonna teach uh, audio editing, I gotta have something they can use video editing. I gotta have something students can use. So that is, I just have to keep up with it. Whatever's coming down the pike, I have to learn it myself. And then finally, my dream, I joke with my students and I say in my last year of teaching, I wanna hobble in on a cane and say, okay, students, let's plug in. And we hook into the internet and we all get on the web like matrix or something. So I have no idea what the future is going to look like. I hope it includes web stuff, but we'll see. But I don't know, but I'm looking forward to it and I wanna be able to keep up with it. So that's another reason to be in digital gardener. Very, very well said. Very well said. Yeah, I think that's a terrific note for us to kind of wrap wrap up on today uh, in this conversation with uh, Margaret Lyon, senior lecturer at IU Bloomington. Adam, you want to take us out? Yeah. Well, thank you, Margaret, for joining us uh, on the Digital Gardening Podcast. Uh, we will have more. Uh, in the future and paul and i are, are hoping to uh, continue to have these uh um, out uh every couple weeks so um you can get you can get them wherever you get your podcasts so uh, apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, stitcher uh, anchor um, uh, spotify in fact you can ask your smart speaker to play the digital gardening podcast i tried it with my alexa and I have to say, our numbers are going up, so I wouldn't be surprised if before long we're doing uh, mattress uh, commercials during our podcasts. Uh, say, friend, when's the last time you had a good night's sleep? <laughs> <laughs>